Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration, and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Namaste, Mandela here. Tonight's show is a classic. Please join me while I begin to interview an Iranian refugee in a rickshaw heading through the busy streets of Tiruvannamalai in southwestern India. You'll hear the rickshaw in the background, and then soon, a monsoon breaks open, like a cow peeing on a flat rock. We find cover in a restaurant, and the product of this adventure was tonight's episode on The Trail Less Traveled. So please, sit back, relax, and join me in a rickshaw, navigating the busy streets of Tiruvannamalai in Kerala, southern India. We're on location in southern India with Amir Izadi. Amir is originally from Iran, and we're going to learn a little bit more about him, but I am in a tuk-tuk, or a rickshaw, as they're called, here in southern India and other parts of the world. Right now we're riding next to a lagoon, surrounded by palm trees and there's dogs all over the place and other tuk-tuks and motorcycles and I am going to hand it over to Amir as we're cruising to Samudra Beach where we're going to record this interview to have him just tell you what he sees what you're seeing here is a lot of beautiful houses that it doesn't pretty much exist in US because they're all like brick it's really handmade. When we're talking about the handmade houses, these are really resonates with the community here. You'll see people in a small shops fixing shoes for cheap price. So it's not like back in the States, if you don't like your shoes or if it's tearing apart, you have to go to Walmart or Payless or Food Locker get another shoes. But it's just people taking it to the a small shop and just fix the shoes and given the fact that India has one billion population so it could be imagined how cheap the labor is here. Yes, Samudra. Samudra Beach, yes. Do you know where it is? Go to the towards the Kovalan Junction. Junction? Do you know where Junction is? Samudra, okay, Samudra. Samudra, yes. Our tuk-tuk driver apparently doesn't know where the beach we're going to so... I have to give him a direction. <laughs> yes, yeah, so this town that we're in, Kovalam, it's beautiful. It's just in a sense that it's not been commercialized the way that we think in the West. There is no high rises, there is no chain that usually exists in overseas, the American chain or Western chain, I should say, like Hilton, Marriott, doesn't exist here. So. If you are very attached to those kind of brands, maybe this is not the place for some people. 
But it's beauty. It's like you just see the goats, cows walking by the side of the street and everyone just trying to not hit each other. But it seems like the driving skills, I want to give them 100 out of 100. Right now, we are actually passing this amazing view of the palm trees and right the other side is the beach. So I'm hoping our tuk-tuk driver is actually going the right direction. So there is a place called Kowalan Junction, which where we're getting out of the beach area and just entering to the highway that takes us to the city. It's very interesting. I don't know how much you guys know about the Indian economy, but India is one of the most growing economy in the world after China. Between China and India, there's a competition, obviously. And you can see it. You can see how the new growth has affected the environment here. As we are passing by, there are a lot of waste, particularly a lot of plastic is sitting on the side of the street. It's so sad. Apparently, some of the locals told me that the beginning they were using leaves, banana leaves, as they use for a substitute to plastic. For example, if you want to get something in the bazaar, and if you go to the flower shop, they wrap the flower for you in banana leaves. And apparently, back in the days also, this was the same thing. Like anything you want to buy from a store, it would have been wrapped in some sort of banana leaves or other leaves, or they would make a basket out of coconut leaves. You will see that the country has been changing for good and bad. The bad side is lack of regulations here. Obviously, you see the people just dumping their waste in you know, plastic or anything they have off the street. And it creates a very bad environment and looks also for the community. Kovalong has a few beautiful beaches that I've seen. There is one in Coconut Beach, where is the lighthouse, and where we're going is some other beaches also. It's a beautiful, it's one of the beautiful spots. People are so friendly here. They love to talk to foreigners, restaurants. You feel like you're in actually community living with them. It's great. So I think we arrived in our destination, so... Yeah, we're arriving here at Samudra Beach. We're going to record this interview with Amir Izadi right here on the ocean as the sun sets. So stay tuned. You are on the trail less traveled outdoor adventure with Mandela on the trail 1033 recorded on location in a tuk-tuk or a rickshaw driving in the roads of Kovalam, southern India. We are on location in southern India at Samudra Beach. Samudra Beach is a little north of Kovalam Beach. It's about a 10-minute rickshaw ride from Kovalam Beach. And our plan was to come to Samudra Beach on a rickshaw, which was successful, and sit by the ocean where the waves are breaking on the rocks. There's a cement block there where a wonderful restaurant called Third Rock has set up tables. And we got a wonderful table, and we were just about to start the interview when monsoon hit. And basically, the sky broke open, and it's raining like a cow pissing on a flat rock right now, which is beautiful because both my guest, Amir Izad, and I have been here for a long time in India, and we haven't seen rain yet. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and it is just beautiful view we have. We have had such a beautiful views of sunset and sunrise here, and it's actually good to see there also the storm. It just resonates. It's not always sunny and shine and just resonate with us. It's like a life. You know, sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's cloudy, and sometimes it's rainy and storm. So here we are. It's really opening up right in front of us. All the coconut palms are glistening from the rain that's falling on them, and the ocean is 
dark and the rain is falling throughout the ocean in the distance and it's a full-on storm all over the place. And the sky right now is this lavender color with a distinct peach color in the background and there's the distant lights of some fishing boats that have just gone out to sea because there's one shift of fishermen that go out and fish at night. Eventually, when the sun goes down moments from now, the ocean will be lit up with lights from fishermen out there. That's the setting for the trail less traveled this evening. My guest this evening is my good friend Amir Izadi. Amir Izadi is from Iran. He and his family came to the United States as refugees, and he has been living in Washington, D.C. for the past 16 years. Amir is passionate about understanding what the physical purpose is of the reality of life. Amir, thank you so much for joining me here on the Trail Less Travel to do this interview. Thank you, Mandela. It's been a pleasure meeting you, and it's just been such an amazing journey. Like in the past 25 days, I've met so many beautiful people, and you definitely was one of them. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We had some awesome adventures, uh, Amir and I. We went to the Panmudi tea plantations, 3,600 feet above sea level. And then the other day, we went to Amma's ashram. Now, I'm so excited to sit back and listen to Amir's story. So, Amir, my first question for you is where did you grow up? And how was outdoor adventure a part of your childhood? I grew up in Iran, the country knows as northern Iran. And the back days was Persia, part of Persian Empire. I am from Shiraz. Some of you probably know the wine of Shiraz. It's very westernized. The wine called Shiraz, apparently there's a story behind it. Shiraz is one of the most poetic city and cultural city of Iran. If anybody wants to know anything about the Iranian culture or Persian culture, you have to come to Shiraz to understand the culture. Two great poets come from Shiraz, Hafez and Sadi. Hafez is very well known in Western countries. His poem is just all about love and compassion, about towards to humanity. The other poet is Sadi. He's not as well known in Western society, but he's very well known in Iranian and Persian and certain Asian countries' culture because he was very well-traveled poet and he's art his poem is just so artistic it gives you advice through the life that we don't have to experience that we actually can listen and recite his poetry and just learn from him learn from what it needs to be living a fulfilled life basically so where i grew up is 20 minutes walk from half his grave as I mentioned, he's one of the most famous poets in the world. And people come and just recite poetry to their loved ones. He or she is, you know, you want to recite a poetry, love poetry, you just go to his side and just saying the poetry to the lover. It's just an amazing place. Very mystical, I should say. There is also Persopolis in Shiraz. It's 30 to 40 minutes away from Shiraz. And as you know, Persopolis was the capital of the Persian Empire. And it's a, one of the beautiful and one of the most high traffic destination for tourists. And it's just resonate with the Persian culture. Shiraz is actually in the southwest of Iran and it's warm climate. It's very close to the Gulf state, Persian Gulf, which is one of the famous Gulf in the region. The culture there is very laid back. You see people just open their shop around 9 o'clock in the morning. They work a couple hours and they shut down. They just go have the lunch and take a siesta. 
If they're lucky, they're going to open their shop around 5 o'clock and they open late until 9, 10 o'clock. People that love to be outdoor and just enjoy life in the beautiful weather and recite poetry to each other, play music. And so this is where I grew up. There is also a small mountain called Baba Kuhi, which is one of the mountains in Shiraz. A lot of friends, we usually go hike over the weekend. There is a, a spot all the way through the top of the mountain that you have people just stay there, sing song, just recite poetry and having a good time. So that was pretty much my activity when I was a kid. So I'm a child of revolution, if I may call it. I was born in 1979, right after the Islamic Republic of Iran just took power and it was a lot of chaos there. And I see a lot of dilemma and confusion in myself because I grew up in a very confusing time. Nobody knows what's right or what's wrong and the Revolutionary Guard uh, oppressing people back and forth. A lot of people got executed, including the religious minority, that group that I do belong to. And a lot of people got persecuted for their political and religious belief. And a lot of people left the country. And that is the sad part about the revolution. And then my childhood was really interesting because right after I was born, my parents got laid off because they were on the religious minority and pretty much the government of Iran, the Islamic Republic, didn't want them to teach anything to the kids because both of my parents were teachers. So they got laid off, and so that was my parents with three kids and no job. I can't even imagine how that would have been. Not every one of us these days will experience this, but it was pretty hard. And right after I was about eight, nine, the war between Iraq and Iran broke out. So going to school was a good thing, but also we have to basically learn in shelters. We have to take shelters because of bombing and, you know, there was a hospital got bombed right in our neighborhood. So it was a lot of drama during my childhood about how the Islamic Republic shaped my character through the entire adulthood. And sometimes I do have a sense of how am I supposed to deal with this stuff? It's just difficult because the newborn revolution was so unskilled and confused itself that it really wasted a lot of people's skills and led a lot of people to just run away. But I spent a lot of time on the street playing soccer with the friends, started learning chess. So we kind of went against the Islamic Republic. Whatever they told us to do, we actually did the opposite to just make the statement, even as a kid. As a kid, I was one of those troublemaker child. There's a celebration before the Persian New Year called Charshan Besuri. It's come from the Zoroastrian religion. And the last Tuesday of the Persian calendar year, you just go out, make a fire, and jump over the fire, and you recite some word to each other to just get away from all the bad things happening. And the color of the fire has a different resonation about what it means in Zoroastrian. But as a kid, we just would have done, but the Iranian government, they didn't want to do that. They tell people to just be inside the house, you're not allowed to do it, and then People just want to go after it, like, no, this is our part of our culture. We just want to maintain this. So I got arrested once. That was the memory of childhood I had by Revolutionary Guard. And so the memories of Iran, for me, is a double-edged sword. 
I have a beautiful memory of just walking off the street, smelling spices and drinking juices and ice cream and going to Hafez and Sadi's site. It's priceless. On the other hand, we have so many traumas. I have like the war about what the Iranian government did to my family. So it's a double-edged sword. So I haven't been back in 16 years. Hopefully one day I'll return to Iran and recite the country that I was born. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested outdoor adventure series, harvested for you today during a monsoon in southern India. I'm speaking with Amir Izadi. He's from Iran, and he and his family moved to the United States as refugees. He has been living in Washington, D.C. for the past 16 years. Amir is passionate about understanding what the physical purpose is of the reality of life. Amir, we have a lot of issues popping up around the world about refugees. So I would like for you to bring some light to what your experience was coming from Iran to the United States as a refugee. I'm just giving you my experience and... I don't know if your listeners, how much they're involved in the news and what channel they're following. When we talk about the refugee, there's a, such a broad definition of refugees right now as we speak. Right now, there are Syrians refugees and there are other refugees coming from all over the world. And the world is not a perfect place right now, as we know. We cannot be negative about it. But as a refugee, I grew up as a religious minority back in Iran. and. For example, my parents got laid off, they didn't have a job, and I got kicked out of the school in high school because they told me, you're Baha'i and we don't recognize your religion. You either have to say you belong to another religion or we're just not going to enroll you in high school. And that moment, that's a test. That's where you want to stand up and say, no, this is my belief and this is what I believe in and doesn't matter. It applies to a lot of stuff. A lot of people's assets got confiscated by the government. They're trying to make you a second-hand citizen, pretty much, in my case. No higher education. They confiscate your assets. They are not... Wow. They're not giving you higher education. They don't give you a license to have a professional jobs. Second-hand citizen. They just want you to just stay in the bottom, not being educated. And if you have any religious activity, they actually come and arrest you. Right now, there are a lot of members of my faith, they're actually in jail right now. So that is one type of the refugee that we are talking about. There's called religious refugees. And we have political refugees back in Iran. There are a lot of people against the Iranian government. They can stay in Iran because there is potential that they're going to get harassed by the Iranian government or take it to the jail. And who knows what happens to them. And that is what's happening in the country right now. The human rights situation in Iran is not very glimmerous. It's in a stage of disaster, I should say, because recently we are trying to open up relationship with the Iranian government, but we are also undermining the human rights. It's troubling me as an Iranian refugee because there are people in Iran that have been oppressed by the Iranian regime, and hopefully not, but it seems like they're going to oppress Iran they're not agree with them and their human rights issue is going to be center stage in Iran and I am hoping that Western countries still should be putting pressure on Iran about the human rights because that is what distinguishes us from the country that has been advocating for democracy with the other countries that don't follow democracy and they're just push their economic agenda towards the world so hopefully we keep pressing Iran on the human rights issue. 
as a refugee, as an Iranian American, I should say, I have gone through being a refugee and it's hard. And there are a lot of Americans, they're kind of bitter about the whole situation of their refugee and they think they're taking our job away and it's not accurate. At some point of this interview, I'm going to mention Viktor Frankl. He was a prominent psychiatrist and neurologist in 1942, I believe. He wrote a book about the man's search for meaning. And this book became one of the most influential books in the United States. And he was a refugee. He actually came to the United States. He became one of those predominant Jewish scientists that came to the United States. And he made major influence in the United States. So the notion that refugees are not good for the country that they're seeking refuge is absolutely false to me we will see the impact probably like 20 30 years from now in germany embracing a lot of refugees right now so i hope everybody has an open mind about investigate the truth about what is happening to the society when the mass migration happened and what is happening to the society that lose all those people the great example would be Iranian right now. There is high educated Iranian, they live in the Western countries, and they could be very resourceful for their own country, but people living there because there's nothing there. The human rights is a big issue. They can practice their freedom there, and they also economic issue. So who is benefiting? The countries are embracing them, bringing them, understand the system, and hopefully they will contribute back to the society. We are on location in southern India, in Samudra Beach. And Samudra Beach is north of Kovalam. This area used to be a very quiet fishing village. And there is still quite a lot of fishing that goes out into the Arabian Sea. So it's a fishing village, but it's also a destination to come and study yoga and receive Ayurvedic treatments. We are recording on location in Samudra Beach because there's a wonderful restaurant here. And we just had an amazing meal. It included lemon rice and jira rice. Jira rice is a rice that is prepared with cashew halves, yellow raisins, and cumin. And I ordered chana masala, and chana means chickpea, so chickpea masala, so it's like a chickpea masala curry. It's very, very wonderful. And then Amir ordered eggplant, and another one is okra curry it's a tomato paste base so it's very authentic a little bit spicy usually we get here ginger obviously was big factor i could feel the ginger they're delicious so hopefully your listeners have a chance to visit india and let's just enjoy the nature and the good food and one thing that amir was talking about the other day when we were in a taxi for almost four hours going to an ashram north of here was one nice thing about India is that every restaurant you walk into, you know immediately because it says on the outside, veg or non-veg. Right, Amir? I have so many love for India, but as a vegetarian, it is so amazing. Like, you know, you don't have to deal with walking to a restaurant, look at their menu first and say, oh, well, let's see, do you have vegetarian? Yeah, you have salad. Oh, yeah, you have hummus and that's it. Okay, good. But here in India, it actually tells you like right outside, vegetarian or it's not vegetarian which is great and I'm hanging out with a bunch of awesome vegetarian friends great company and we are enjoying definitely the taste of India Amir what would you say to someone listening who might consider going to India but if they did they'd say they would not eat any food out in a restaurant or street food because they'd be too afraid of getting sick what would you say to them 
I understand the precautions you have to take. You have to follow certain uh, precautions when you come to different country because the hygiene in each country is different. You have to be very careful with the food that you haven't had in your life, but you want to explore it. But you want to make sure you're taking precautions. So when I came to states, I actually took the CDC website advice. If anything colder than room temperature, I kind of become very cautious about it. And also, I don't use the tap water here at all because it's not a matter of it's dirty or something because it's not meeting the same hygiene standard back where we live. So that's something you have to be very precautious about. Anywhere you go, it's just doesn't matter if it's in India or I mean I was in Turkey two years ago and I got sick it happens you have to calculate the risk when you are overseas not every country has the United States standard by any means I agree with you but if you're someone who's going to travel to a certain country and bring enough granola bars to eat breakfast lunch and dinner you're missing out I have eaten street food in places that I probably shouldn't have, but it was part of the experience. And actually getting sick was a major part of the experience as well. I wouldn't recommend going out of your way to get sick, but taking a risk and following your instinct and trying the food on the street can be an amazing experience. The subject this evening is this amazing person sitting across from me, Amir Izadi. He is from Iran. He and his family came to the U.S. as refugees. He has been living in Washington, D.C. for the past 16 years. Amir is passionate about understanding what the physical purpose is of the reality of life. Amir, I'd like to talk to you about the author that you mentioned earlier, Viktor Frankl. Let's dive more into his writing. We all, at some point, question certain things in life. He's one of the most prominent Jewish psychiatrists and neurologists back during the Nazi war and the concentration camp, the Holocaust. I believe he was born and raised in Vienna, Austria. It's such a tremendous, beautiful biography this gentleman has. It resonated with a lot of us, but he wrote the book about man's search for meaning. And this book became one of the most influential books in the United States. And it's named by the Library of Congress, one of the most influential books in the 20th century. There is a part in his biography that really captured my attention. He was already a well-known scientist in Vienna. So the Nazi entered to Austria going after Jews, and they are getting everybody to the concentration camp. And he's ready. He's ready to move out of the country. And he's just in a dilemma now. He's just trying to figure out what he should do. He has the visa United States grant him a visa, but there's a dilemma there. There's one challenging question is he has his parents there, and he doesn't know what he should do with his parents because he has elderly parents that can't travel, they can't get a visa, they're just stuck there and they don't want to live. And he knows that. He knows that his parents are going to die anyway, but the question is whether he wants to stay with them to comfort them through this concentration camp or just go and save his own life. He walks back home and he sees his father has this piece of marble in his dining table. And his father says, this is the piece of marble we just recovered from the synagogues in the neighborhood. And do you know what that represents? It's a part of the Ten Commandments that you honor your parents. That moment he realized that I have to stay. I have to just walk them through the concentration camp and comfort them there. He just forgo his visa. He goes to the concentration camp. His pregnant wife perished in the concentration camps. He's the only one survivor and goes back to the States. 
And he also had two inmates in that concentration camp. And he's trying to figure out what's the meaning of life for each of those individuals. One had a child, one was another scientist that he wanted to publish more stuff. He goes back to the States and he becomes one of the most prominent scientists in the United States. And in his book, he just touched on a very interesting subject that is, how is the happiness related to the meaning of life? Is it better to be happy or to have a meaningful life? Or are they actually tied together or they're in a, some correlation with each other? So my understanding from this article the friends sent me it just was amazing because it really resonates with what we're talking about in today's society, to the culture. Every time it captures me when I want to make decisions. There's a line in that book, it said, you can't take everything from the man except the choices you're making. So that brings us to the fact that we sometimes get caught in this culture of it's about me, myself, and I. It's we are self-centered. I was there when I came to states trying to survive and just like everything was about me. I want to go to college. I want to just get this. I want to get that. I want to have this. And it hit me at some point of what is this? What am I trying to get myself into? And happiness that comes to me, it's temporary. It just fades away so quick. That's why I've been just struggling with. And another great test came to me two years ago when my family decided they wanted to come to the United States as a refugee just because they were, the situation in Iran was getting worse and worse. For anyone who has been a refugee and for the first comer, the first person who immigrated to another country to welcome to their entire family is such a burden. You know, you have to provide a lot of things just beside financial. You also have to provide the material aspect. You have to just allocate your time and energy to the family that come in and take them to the English classes, take them to grocery shop, take them to get them their documents straight. So it's a lot of work. The work will be continuous. So that article has just really caught my attention about the meaning of life. It's to serve, to serve others. And because when you serve, it's just becomes something behind yourself. It's something behind that. And it's not all about me. And the way you want to make the world a better place, you have to start building. Whether it's your family. This journey I've been in is very interesting. My yoga teacher the other day was talking about childhood. Sometimes you do the bad things in your childhood, but you also do the good things in your childhood. And those good things, it comes back to you and say, oh, I did that. And it makes you feel good. So that also resonates here because when you do something, when you give a service to someone else and not accepting anything in return, in the long term, you look back and you say, oh, I did that. It makes you feel good. I should have a second look about happiness. What is happiness? Is it about me? I'm here for yoga and there is something in this yoga about like getting to the poses that you cannot do but you really want to do it and you attach yourself to it and this is going to make me so happy if I get to that. But I don't think that's going to make me happy. It just maybe it makes me happy in the first few months and then it fades away. But I'm hoping that practice I do every day has an impact that at least in the long term I can contribute something to the society. It's just evolving. I think we are as a human being... When we have passion about something, if we are not attached to it, but we pursue that passion in an intelligent way, it will evolve. It will evolve through the cycle of life we're in, and hopefully 
we can serve others. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, Outdoor Adventure with Mandela on the Trail 103.3. The outdoor adventures this evening lead to Samudra Beach in southern India. We are literally 100 feet from the Arabian Sea, and it is now very dark outside. The monsoon, heavy, heavy thunderstorm passed. It's now pretty calm. We'll see if that calmness lasts for the rickshaw ride home. During this interview with Amir, the lightning flashed very close to us, probably 100 feet from us. It struck a rickshaw, and, and then you could smell the electricity in the air. From where I'm sitting, I can see the ocean, I can see the palm trees and the downpour, and it was raining so hard that the mist was actually coming in on us. But I can also see about 100 lights up on this point, and the electricity in India goes on and off all the time. You get used to it. You just want to make sure you always have a torch with you, a, a lamp, because the electricity might go out, and you're walking in some back alley, and then all of a sudden you can't see anything. But it was really interesting during this interview to watch that whole power of the entire village of Kovalam go on and off while this interview was happening. Pretty phenomenal. Hello there, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. And I want to take a very short break to thank our sponsor, New West Knife Works. When you love the tools you use, everyday chores become a joy. A finely crafted knife is an extension of the hand that welds it. That's the motivating idea behind New West Knife Works founder. Corey Milligan. Milligan moved to Jackson Hole to pursue the good life in his early 20s. To earn a living while enjoying the outdoors, he worked as a line cook in local restaurants. His interest in cutlery came from the desire to make a knife that would better express his love of cooking. New West Knife Works was born out of that passion, a passion which continues to keep the company on the cutting edge. All of New West Knife Works culinary, hunting, and recreational knives are made in the Tetons, with the finest American steel and tested by the professional chefs, guides, anglers, and hunters of Jackson Hole. From the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to Bon Appetit and Forbes, top tastemakers appreciate cutlery that is as beautiful as it is useful. Visit newwestknifeworks.com. با سلام شما به, بر... به برنامه جاده ناشناخته و مسافرت هیجان آمیز با مندلا در موج ده سی گوش می کنید ما اینجا در, ایال... در جنوب هندوستان در سمودرا ساحل سمودرا هستیم You are listening to the trail less travel outdoor adventure with Mandela on the trail 103.3 We are in South India, Samudra Beach. That's my friend Amir Izadi. Amir is from Iran. He and his family came to the USA as refugees. He has been living in Washington, D.C. for the past 16 years. Amir is passionate about understanding what the physical purpose is of the reality of life. And he just gave a little intro in Farsi, which is his first language. So, Amir, I would love it if you could give us a language lesson in Farsi. Farsi is one of the most beautiful language and it's actually poetic language because when you go to the poetry of the entire country, you have Rumi, we have Hafiz, you have Atar, and the structure of the language is amazing. Unfortunately, after the sequence of invasion of 
Arab to the Persia. The language started to fade in a way, but it kept its naturality and it resisted to the, all those invasion. And one of the beautiful poet Ferdowsi, he actually saved Persian language from Arab invasion. It's very interesting because I was actually reading the same thing about India because Persian invaded India thousands of years ago and there were two poets, Amir Hassan. He also saved the Indian language from Persian. It is just ironic. This Every culture has those iconic individuals that they save the culture and they save the language through the poetry. And Ferdowsi, one of the most beautiful piece of art he has about Shahnameh, it's just the epic methodology of the Persian goes through thousands of pages without using a single Arabic word. And that saved Persian culture and Persian language. Salam means, means peace in Arabic. In English, salam means hello. But when you say durud means it's kind of like welcome the person. Still in the dialogue, we use a lot of Arabic words in Farsi because of the invasion and because of the religion. Also, Islam had a very big influence in the Iranian Persian culture. I grew up under the Islamic Republic of Iran, so they were really open to just using a lot of Arabic words in their education systems. If you really want to know the Persian culture, travel there. Travel there because the country is opening up and the people are totally different. You have to separate the society from the people who are in the top because they're one of the most welcoming people. They would love to meet Westerners. They're open, they open their arms to unwelcome you and get into the culture by just traveling, not only the mosques and the religious site, but also going to Isfahan, Shiraz. You can just truly get into the Persian culture, get in, go into the bazaar. It totally resonates with you that we all are the same. Kids are playing music back in Iran. They're playing piano, they're playing guitar, they're playing rock music, they're playing heavy metal, and they're loving it. They just want to be a part of the world and they just want to be a part of society. So I hope that one day I can go back and just visit. Not an option for me right now, but if you're going there, just be careful, but the country is open. They're really open to embrace you and just open up to you and just share their values with you. Amir, you spent the first 19 years of your life in Iran, and then you migrated to the United States as a refugee. So you've experienced both the Eastern culture and Western culture. So I would love it if you could share what you've noticed about similarities and the differences between the Western and the Eastern cultures. I can speak for what I observed 16 years ago. I don't know how it looks like, but there is always a fundamental value in any culture. The respect, the respect you have for your elderly, the respect you have for your teacher, regardless. There is the boundaries between individuals that you value in your life. I remember my grandmothers actually lived with us. Such an amazing experience I had. I got extra love from two extraordinary people. Welcoming you when you come home, the food is ready, extra protection there, always when you obviously have conflict in the house with the brother, sister, little fight here and there. As a human, we grow up in a different environment, different culture, but at the end of the day, I think we all are the same. There are single mothers there, there are single parents, there are people struggling to bring food on the table, and I'm sure there are these people exist in the United States too, there are homeless people there too. We are so connected. 
the only thing is just get us away from each other is just the politics and fundamentalism. That's just a sad thing is happening. And those two extraordinary force, it is sometimes challenging to bring peace and unity to the world. And these two forces always are outside. And, you know, it's individual choice which part you want to be. It's all to each of us. Do you want to be a force of good? make the world a better place or you just want to be negative and destroy everything and separate the peoples with each other and just make a profit out of it. Iranian tends to be very family-oriented and sort of like backing each other off when it comes to any difficulties, any challenges. And it is interesting, I can really distinguish Western culture with the Iranian culture because I almost lived 19 years of my life in Iran and now I'm 16 years of my life here. I've seen both sides. It's not black and white also because there are gray area that every culture has and you can't generalize everybody. Both of them, they're facing the same challenge, but at the end of the day, hopefully they all somehow survive. But the role of individual in society becomes more known when you actually see this and you want to see how we can solve the problems. Looking at different angles, I think we all are the same. There's no differences. We call it culture, but it's not the culture to me. It's the environment, and it's just how we grow up under certain social and economic circumstances, and that's about it. We have been on location in southern India speaking with Amir Izadi. Thank you so much, Amir, for joining me on the trail as traveled and making the time to travel to Samudra Beach with me during a rainstorm to record this interview. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully we see each other for more yoga journey. Thank you. Amir, I'd like to end the show with three outdoor adventure tips. One of the tips I actually learned through this journey of traveling, I have so many friends, they always say, oh, I want to go there, and it never happens. But my advice to you is just, if you want to go somewhere, make a plan and just get your ticket and go. If it's a budget issue, you know, sometimes you have to work your way around. If you want to adventure some places that you've never been and the cost of the transportation or logistic is expensive, always just go online and see where is the cheapest ticket that you can go to and just keep it in your eyes, see when the prices drop. You buy a ticket and just do the logistic after that because this way you can save more money. The third advice I have when you travel, try to mix with the community where you're going to be traveling to. That's very important. We tend to just check into these brand high-end hotels and segregate ourselves with the community. If you really want to know the culture, if you want to get to know people and community, I think it's a great idea to just mix in with the local people when you travel abroad. And enjoy your journey. The Trail Less Traveled podcast and international outreach programs are made possible by the support from listeners such as yourself. For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon can offer you a subscription-style payment method in the amount of your choice in exchange for priority access to the Trail Less Traveled visual series, exclusive content, behind-the-scenes footage, and ad-free podcasting. Please consider helping keep my fiscal raft afloat by visiting patreon.com slash trail less traveled.
Namaste, Mandela here. You have been listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure series. Tonight's show was recorded in a rickshaw during a monsoon on the southwestern coast of India, 100 feet from the Arabian Sea. I would like to thank my guest for this week, Amir Izadi. Amir is a child of the revolution who was born right after the Islamic Republic of Iran took over. Amir is a refugee living in Washington, D.C., who came with his family from Iran 16 years ago. Find The Trail Less Traveled on Facebook to follow the show as it is recorded on location around the world. Or visit trail1033.com to podcast previous shows. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, or on location around the world, in order to find these adventurers and talk to them in their natural habitat. My adventure tip this week is to treat yourself to a massage. Massages can help with anxiety, digestive disorders, fibromyalgia, headaches, insomnia, and sports injuries, among other things. Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula. But until next week's adventure, please get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar simply cannot shred itself. This episode's Patreon shout-out is for Kendall Williams. I would like to wish Kendall a very happy birthday as he turns 27 this month. Kendall Williams works as a river guide in Grand Canyon, and I know him as one of the strongest paddlers one could ever hope for having in their paddle raft. I'd like to thank Kendall for his support on Patreon, and a very, very, very happy birthday to you, Kendall. Thank you for being born, and thank you for your support.